You are listening to a Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We encourage you to share this with friends and family, but ask that you do not edit it without the permission of the owners. This Bible Talk is designed to supplement belonging to a local church with its teaching and community, not to replace it. We pray this talk helps you love Jesus and become more like him. Today we'll be reading from Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him rule over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the parts of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Well, who am I? Uh the aura of mystery that was set at the beginning. Who am I? Well, I'm a Malaysian-born, Chinese-Australian with a Neanderthal jaw. The bottom lip sticks out, as you can see, right, in terms of the profile. I'm very mixed up. But the question of who am I for many today is a question that's both puzzling and provocative, isn't it? I mean, how does it involve my ethnicity? How does it involve my family? How does it involve my country or my past or my trajectory into the future? How does it involve my sexuality? Who am I? And how does it really involve who I really am deep down inside? Who is the real you? The advice heard frequently today is that you've got to be true to yourself. I take it you've heard that somewhere. Perhaps you've even gave it as advice yourself. And there's real truth to that. You want to be yourself, not someone else. The advice is to follow your heart. To I love this phrase, you do you. Right? That's what you're supposed to do. And that's the way we're supposed to live our authentic lives. And to find our true self and to be detaching ourselves from the external influences of our home and our family and our society and our country and especially of religion. That's what people say. And sociologists call this the buffered self. Hands up if you've heard that phrase, the buffered self. Oh, no, and I can speak almost with authority here, isn't it? And it wasn't from Wikipedia. It was from another page that's almost as authoritative as Wikipedia. But nevertheless, the buffered self, what does that mean? It's not about going to the gym and getting a six-pack, or, or a keg in my case. Um, but rather, the buffered self refers to shaping and defining ourselves from within. That's the kind of technical phrase, the buffered self. And not from external roles or expectations. 
academics call it, and you've probably heard this phrase, expressive individualism. Hands up if you've heard that phrase before. Yeah, so a few of us have it. Expressive individualism. What does that mean? It's the individualism where you, you find your authentic self by looking within because that's where you will find what it means to be truly human. You look within. You don't look without. You don't look at authorities out there. You don't conform to society. Universities are not a place where you actually learn how to conform to this world. Rather, universities are actually meant to be platforms where you actually are able to share what yourself is thinking and your true self in the midst of others. Now, it may not come across as explicitly as that, but I wonder whether you can actually see that, especially those of you in arts courses. It's all about expressing your true self. Right? But it's my prayer tonight that you will get your bearings of what it means to be your true self, as it were, what it means to be human from the true and living God of the Bible. Now, I don't know how long you've been involved in Christian things, or maybe this is your first time here tonight, and it just may be that you're actually checking out Christianity. Now, you might have been doing these courses and... You've been able to DP here with your friends and really even weave in and out of Bible stuff, but you're still checking it out. If that's you, can I say I'm just delighted that you're here. I'm just thrilled that you're here. I hope and pray that as we work through this part of the Bible known as Psalm 8, that we really will hear the voice of the living God. So to that end, I'm going to pray. If you're the kind of person who's happy to listen in and say an amen, which means I'm in it, Please do, if you're not, just listen in for a moment. Will you pray with me? We thank you, dear Father, for the privilege it is to know you if we do know you as our Father and our God. We pray tonight that you'll help me to speak well, faithfully from your word. And please help us all to listen well and to respond in a way that is truly appropriate. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, to understand humanity, the Bible says we need to understand God. In the first verse of Psalm 8, which I've got here, it reads this, right? Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now, in the Bible, wherever you see the word Lord in capital letters, it refers to God's personal name. In the original, it actually spells something like Y-H-W-H. I don't know how you pronounce that, you know, but we've anglicized it to Yahweh. You might have heard that name, right? Yahweh, which is God's personal name. So it says Yahweh, our Lord, Yahweh is his personal name. Lord is who he is. He is the Lord. So Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? God's name is Yahweh. It is regal. It's royal throughout the cosmos. How majestic is your name in all the earth? And the psalm also ends with these exact words to top and tail the psalm. Why? Because we can only understand humanity in relation to the one who made humanity. You can only understand the creation by understanding the creator. You can only understand the purpose of something by understanding the one who has created that someone or something for. 
And humanity was created by God for his purposes. And we learn that in the rest of the psalm. But before we get there, we learn something more in verse 2 that you'll see on the screen here. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Those who see and acknowledge God for who he is are like children and infants, note. That is, those who are childlike, those who trust and rely on another for their very survival. And as such, they are seemingly weak, seemingly insecure and unintelligent because they rely on someone else for their survival, namely Yahweh. But for the child, it's their parents, isn't it? So they rely on them. They don't rely on their own abilities at that point in time. They rely on a, another person. Their mother, their father, their older siblings, they are childlike. Right? On the other hand, the enemies of God, they like to see themselves as the secure, the intelligent, the able, the enlightened, the university student, right? the, the professor, the academic, the one who has intelligence. In fact, there is now a global movement known as the New Atheists called the Brights. And you'll see that in the next slide. The Brights have this particular, it's sort of a mission statement for them, the luminaries of a new era of rational understanding, dispelling the darkness of religion and Christianity in particular. That's the brights. They're the luminaries. They're the intelligent ones, you see. They are the ones that are the ethicists, the academics, the sociologists. They're the ones who really get it without God in the picture. But whilst the brights and the ethicists and the academics and the sociologists debate the merits of what it means to be human, it's the babies and the infants who often know more. That's what the psalmist is saying, in their utter dependence upon God. Because we've got to remember that when it comes to God's plans and purposes, we can't actually discover them from our own intelligence, from our own impressiveness, from our own thought leadership. And that's a phrase, isn't it? The thought leadership. That's what we're on about. In fact, where I come from in Canberra, your nation's capital, right? There's, a, there's something called the Australian National University, and that's the mantra of the students at ANU to be thought leaders of the world. And that's what you keep on hearing. But God is the one who will reveal to those who are dependent on him like children. It's not the academics and the brights, the luminaries. It's the children, God says. I don't know whether you've seen this... Um, I think so. I, I, I got this some years ago, but it's in my notes here. That they're children who write letters to God. I don't know whether you've come across this or not. You could Google it somewhere, I'm sure. And one of the letters that I read at those, those days said, Dear God, this is a little three or four year old, Dear God, please look after yourself. Because if you don't, we're all in big trouble. Right? <laughs> the child gets it, doesn't it? This, this precious little child knows so much more than these brights when it comes to understanding what life is really all about. But the psalmist goes on. He says, so what does God reveal about humanity? Here it is in verse 3 and 4. When I consider your heavens, 
the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? What's God saying here? I want to suggest to you that he's saying that humanity is glorious because of God's appointment, but compared to the heavens, they're nothing, actually. And just ponder the heavens for a moment. If you have to go out there and look at a lovely, bright night sky, and you count some stars, and you look at the universe, what we see with the naked eye is quite majestic. We're on a cloudless night, which is moonlit, or rather not moonlit. You can actually see the stars without the moon lighting it up. That's just beautiful and wonderful, isn't it? But in a scaled model, just, uh, just let's have a little thought experiment for a moment. In a scaled model, think about a scaled model. If, if the distance between the Earth and the Sun was the thickness of one sheet of paper, just ponder that, right? One sheet of paper in your Bible. If you've got one sheet of paper, that's a thickness. And that's the distance between the Sun and the Earth. Okay? If that was the case, can you guess how long our own galaxy would be? in a scaled model. Anybody want to guess and call out? What sort of distance are we looking at? In a scale. A metre. Yep. Any other guesses at all? Melbourne to Queensland. Melbourne to Queensland. Yeah, yeah, that's slight range, isn't it? You, you guys go to the same university? I don't know. But our brother's actually closer. It's actually Melbourne to Canberra, right? 700 kilometres in a scaled model. Can you picture that? that? That's a scaled model. Here's a picture of the actual thing coming up. Uh, that's just our galaxy. Our galaxy is 100,000 light years across that diameter. 100,000 light years. What is humanity compared to this? All right. That makes our entire solar system, our solar system, a speck in this galaxy. Just a speck. Right. And there are other galaxies, billions of galaxies, which makes humanity an atom on a speck, 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 on a speck. I hope you're feeling good about yourself now. <laughs> That's what we are. We're just specks, if that. That's what he's saying. But of course, the psalmist says that humans have been, look at verse 5 coming up, verse 5. You have made them, though, a little lower than the angels or the heavenly beings and crowned them with glory and honor. You've crowned them with glory and honor. How so? Well, why don't you have a chat with each other for a moment? How do you think God has crowned humanity with glory and honour despite being a speck on a speck on a speck? Want to have a chat with one another? Just to give you 30 seconds. Have a think about it. Okay. Let's get back together again. I'd love some thoughts. Anybody over this side willing to share? How is humanity crowned with glory and honour despite being a speck on a speck on a speck? Any, any thoughts at all? Safe space here, right? Yeah. We're made in the image of God. Absolutely. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? We actually reflect God 
and his role in the world. Yeah, and we'll come back to that too. Yeah. How else is humanity crowned with glory and honor? How is that image reflected? If I can drill down a little bit more. Any thoughts? Just in, by way of application, you see what humanity does in this world? Yeah. We were created. Oh, we create things? We are creators ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what sort of things do we create? Anything? Hot cross buns. <laughs> we create that, right? We create, but we do create fancy things, don't we? We can create soft toilet paper. <laughs> really good toilet paper. But, but we can create things that go into space. And do amazing things there too, can't we? We can create Marvel movies. Now, that's amazing, isn't it? That's just incredible what we can do. But fancy, they, 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 you, you press a button and the light comes on. Right? You know, we take that for granted, but you know, my, um, I've been married twice. My first wife, very sadly, went to be with the Lord in 2013 because of pancreatic cancer. But I remember her often saying, you know, when we switched on the light, she said, that's amazing. Why don't people believe in God? <laughs> because we just switch on the light. It just happens. Oh, incredible. Here's some other things. We are the only species on earth that has named and classified other species. Do you know that? We've even invented a scientific label for ourselves. Homo sapiens, right? We're hugely successful in inhabiting the earth. We've found ways to live in every climate and every ecosystem on every continent of the earth, including Antarctica. We... It took us the best part of one year to develop several effective vaccines for COVID-19. Best part of one year. Do you know how it ordinarily, how long it takes for a vaccine? Going back to tetanus or chickenpox or whatever it is. It takes the best part of four years before that. It took the best part of one year to create that kind of thing. Right? There's a real sense in which humanity is crowned with glory and honour. and goes on in verses 6 to 8. Have a look at how it is. Right, you made them rulers over the works of your hand. You put... Everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. See, that's part and parcel of what it means to be in the image of God, to have the role that God has in ruling the world under his loving rule. So despite the fact that we're specks on a speck on a speck, we, we rule this speck called the earth. right? And we do it well. And God appointed humanity to rule over creation, to subdue it, to have dominion over it under his loving rule. And what the psalmist poetically reminds us of is the first two chapters of the Bible known as Genesis chapters 1 and 2, which I'm sure many of us are familiar with. But if you're not, it's the first two chapters of the whole Bible. And what the psalmist not only reminds us of, that is that therefore Adam and Eve, the first human couple, were crowned with this kind of glory and honor. But please note that Yahweh gave humanity this dominion. Yahweh appointed humanity with this dominion. And although humans are a little lower than the heavenly beings, as it were, they nevertheless are the jewel in the crown of creation. And in making humanity, God wanted creation to know the goodness of his rule by seeing the goodness of the rule of humanity. Humanity was appointed to lovingly rule the world. And because of the appointment, he gives humanity the gifts to rule. 
our intelligence, our communication skills, our abilities, everything that you have in this room and what you're learning and how you exercise your brains, for that end, have been given to us because of the appointment. So being in the image of God is not having those characteristics of intelligence, etc., etc., I suggest to you. Being in the image of God means the appointment to rule, but because of the appointment, God gives us the abilities to follow suit. Does that make sense? The appointment is the key thing, not the abilities. We cannot boast in our abilities or our impressiveness to have dominion. God gave humanity dominion. So humanity's glory lies in God's appointment. It does not lie in what we find within. Nor does it lie in our ability to contribute to society, our gifts, our talents. Right? Humanity's glory lies in our appointment, not in our abilities. Not in our ability to do all those wonderful things. No, it's the appointment that's the key thing. So we've got to understand our gifts in its right place. right? Because you see, so many people find their identity in their gifts and their abilities. In fact, that's where you find your security if you look within or whatever your abilities are, don't you? But what does that mean for a disabled person? Does that mean they cease to be in the image of God? What does it mean for someone who struggles and can't get into university? Does that mean they're less of the image of God? Now, you know, you're crying out, no, but why? Because it's not got to do with abilities or gifts, does it? Now, until you understand that, you're going to find it really hard in our university setting because it's all about gifts, isn't it? And it's not just university. It's in Christian circles as well, isn't it? You kind of compare yourself to someone. You feel, I wish I had that person's gift. I wish I was like that person in terms of their looks. I wish I was like that person in terms of how they could do this, that and the other. And I should be able to do that because, or the comparison thing the other way is, I've got it, so I've got to use my gifts because my gifts are better than that person's gifts. And that's how we think about ministry even. But it's not, got about, it's not about gifts. They're to be used for his glory, but they're there to serve, but they're because of the image of the appointment. Do you see? It's just so radically different to the world, isn't it? But having said all of that, humanity doesn't really look all that glorious anyway, even if you to look at their gifts. Because even when humanity does contribute to society, it does not really rule the world. We know this because of what follows the first two chapters of the Bible, namely the third chapter of the Bible, which is where humanity chose to rebel against God by seeking wisdom to be like God. How? They were already created to be like God, but they wanted more. They wanted to determine things like God rather than reflect God in what his appointment was. They wanted to rule the world their own way and not have God be God over their lives. And as such, the humanity that emerges out of the third chapter of the first book of the Bible, Genesis 3, the humanity that emerges is a tragedy. 
And we who stand in line with them feel the hurt of it immensely, don't we? We see the consequences in our fractured relationships with God, our fractured relationships with one another, our fractured relationships with the creation itself. Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Deep racial divisions in the United States. Relationship tensions between countries. Protests. And you've had your fair share of them in Melbourne, haven't you? As we have, well, you guys have come up to Canberra. <laughs> We've got lots of protests there. And there's been a big convoy from Melbourne and every other state and territory in Australia. Strained marriages. Divorces. And in a group this size, I have no doubt that some of you have been touched one way or another by such hurt and pain, for which I really am very sorry, if that's you. And of course, there's COVID. And there's cancer. And there's death. All the outcome of seeking to rule our own lives our own way without God ruling. It's seeking far more than the image he's already given humanity. And so all that we are needs saving. You and I stumble along with frustration and sickness and pain and war and disasters and death. Which is why. Jesus entered our world, isn't it? Jesus came not to abandon humanity, but to restore humanity to its full glory and goodness. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate human who fulfills Psalm 8, doesn't he? Who rules over creation. And almost to the point of embarrassment, he really is so very, very human. He had an ethnicity. He was Jewish. He had a hometown called Nazareth. He was conceived out of wedlock. He slept. He grew. He matured. He went to the toilet. He, he worked as a carpenter. He was even an undocumented asylum seeker in Egypt. But he really was and is continuing to be the image of the invisible God, the heir over all creation. And that's why in the gospel accounts we see Jesus healing diseases and sicknesses and casting out demons and stilling storms and feeding thousands of people at a time. He's not doing magic tricks to prove that he's God. No, he's actually living out his ultimate, I suggest to you, humanity. Now I know it shows his divinity, but he's actually living out his humanity because humanity was meant to rule. But humanity failed, but Jesus rules. Perfectly, You see, he's showing his humanity as much as his divinity by ruling the world like that, reversing the effects of the fall like that. But the main reason he became all that we are is because all that we are needed saving. And so we go to the slide in Hebrews chapter 2 in the next slide. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. Guess what? Psalm 8. And you think the author of the Hebrews would know it's Psalm 8. And we're all crying out, it was Psalm 8, the writer of the Hebrews. 
So someone somewhere has testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. Next slide. It keeps on going. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. For you, for me, for our sisters, brothers, for our parents, for our grandparents, for our neighbours, for our fellow students on campus in our tutorials, in our lectures, who come to the Hot Cross Bun Stall. For them, right? At present, we don't see everything in subjection to humanity. That's so true because of what we just talked about. But we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor in heaven, now seated at the right hand of his Father. And after dying in our place, he rose up to be enthroned in heaven, where he is now. And if you split the ceiling open and could stare into heaven itself, you would see Jesus there now, ruling, reigning. And as we place our trust in his death and his resurrection, alone, To save us, we become the humanity that we were created to be, living with Jesus as the pulsating center of our lives. Because he's the ultimate solution to Genesis 3. And our identity, therefore, right, lies not from what we find within. Our identity doesn't lie in our university. I've been to Monash University. Or our marital status. I'm married or I'm happily single or I'm whatever it is. It doesn't lie in my sporting ability. My identity doesn't lie in my academic achievements. It doesn't lie in my appearance or my career. It doesn't lie in what ministry status I have. But the next person on the slide thinks it does. Hands up if you've heard of this man. Yeah, most of us have. Professor Peter Singer. He's an Australian ethicist, you know. He's based in Princeton University. He endorses the premature killing of humans who cannot make intelligent decisions, such as the disabled or people with Alzheimer's, even infants, because they are subhuman in his view. They're subhuman because what makes someone human is their intelligent ability to respond to others. And so he is willing to see logically that if there is no God, it's kind of a survival of the fittest. And logically that makes sense, yeah? That therefore the ones who can respond well and contribute to society are the ones who should remain alive. Whereas those who can't contribute to society, well, we get rid of them because they're just dragging everyone else down. And that sounds horrible. That sounds horrific. That sounds almost Adolf Hitler-like. But without God, it makes total sense, doesn't it? I mean, we feel the horror of it because we're Christians. 
or we're Christianized. But if you think about it with pure logic, without God in the picture, it actually is a consistent worldview. Thoroughly consistent. And I'm actually impressed with the consistency of what he's holding. Because there are many atheists who want to have everything, but they're inconsistent. He's actually being really consistent. There's that other atheists don't want to have much to do with him sometimes. Right? But he's utterly consistent. And that's actually impressive. And I want you to remember that. Consistency really matters here. So when we hold a Christian worldview, we've got to be consistent too. right? But he's being utterly consistent. So what makes, human, what makes someone human in his mind is their intelligent contribution to society. He's not evil, Peter Singer. He's simply being consistent as an atheist. But Psalm 8 says, humanity is glorious because of God's appointment and not because of what they can contribute to society. You see, that's a whole worldview away that clashes with it. So let me share with you about someone else in the next slide. This person is Edith Cherry. They're words to a song that she wrote. But before you read the words, let me tell you a little bit about Edith. She was born on the 9th of February in 1872 in Plymouth, England. At 16 months of age, she contracted polio. 16 months, right? At the age of 12, she had her first stroke. She had multiple strokes and she finally died of a fatal stroke at 25 years of age. 25. You're not far off that mark, are you? Which is why I wanted to share her story with you. She wrote poems in her life and hymns throughout her short life. And this is one of her more popular hymns. And those of us who are a tad older in this room, I just say tad older, will know these words. We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. You, yea, in thy name, O captain of salvation. In thy dear name, all other names above, Jesus, our righteousness, our sure foundation, our prince of glory, and our king of love. See, her identity was not in her abilities, but in Christ. So like Edith, who am I? Who are you? If you trust Jesus alone to save you from the punishment that we deserve, and he is, if he is truly Lord of your life and your life revolves around him and his plans and purposes rather than the other way around, then your identity is not in your abilities. Your identity is not in your ethnicity. Your identity is not in your family, your country, your university, or whatever people want to throw. Your identity is in another person. The Lord Jesus Christ, who rules and reigns. And in his hands, a new heavens and a new earth will unfold when everything in creation will be put under his feet. And that will be a time when there will be no more pandemics and no more wars and no more military takeovers and no more acts of injustice and no more adultery or divorce or disease or sickness or death. 
But we will be with Jesus in whom we find our identity with purpose as our fulfillment, our adornment, as our God. I don't know where you're at in your life at the moment. But I do know that we can all look to Jesus for meaning, for purpose, for identity. And look to the Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And may you joyfully identify with him. Whatever happens. Will you pray with me? We thank you dear Father for the privilege it is to know Jesus as our Lord and Saviour. And if there's anyone in this room who's still unsure whether he is number one of their lives, we pray that you will help them to come to know you. And please, Father, help us to bathe in his incalculable grace that he demonstrated through his death and resurrection so that we will only find our identity ultimately in him and not in ourselves. And we pray this for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Monash Christian Union Bible Talk. We long to see everyone at Monash University know a disciple-making disciple of Jesus Christ. If you have been blessed by this ministry and would love to support Monash Christian Union, you can do so via the link in the podcast description.